Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 297. Today's big Bible question, do evil spirits and evil events actually do God's bidding? Well, hello, friends. Happy Monday to you. Pop quiz, hotshot. Which of the following people did not write a chapter of the Bible? Now, I'm going to give you seven names. And out of those seven names, one of these people did not write a chapter of the Bible. You pick the one. Okay, here are your choices. Number one, Barnabas. Number two, Nebuchadnezzar. Number three, He-Man. Number four, Ethan the Ezraite. Number five, Agur. Number six, Lemuel. Number seven, Asaph. And I'm going to read those again because... All of those people but one did not write a chapter of the Bible. You're supposed to pick out the one who did not write the chapter of the Bible. Number one, Barnabas. Number two, Nebuchadnezzar. Number three, He-Man. Number four, Ethan the Ezraite. Number five, Agur. Number six, Lemuel. Number seven, Asaph. Now, I suspect that this trivia question would win you a lot of bar bets. Actually, I should say, uh, let me rephrase that. I suspect that this question will win you a lot of bets at your local Christian bookstore's coffee hutch, if you have such a thing. And the astonishing answer is Barnabas. Of the list I just read, only Barnabas hasn't written a chapter of the Bible that we are aware of. Although I do need to say he like is sort of a dark horse candidate for writing the book of Hebrews. I don't think it was him, but he's one of the possibilities. Now, we could read and focus on Nebuchadnezzar's chapter today, which is Daniel chapter 4, because it is an awesome chapter with some great insights, but it's not our focus chapter. We'll also read Psalm 108 and 109, uh, but not fo- focus our full attention there. Normally, we'd focus on our First Thessalonians 5 passage, and I sort of intimated that we would do that on the last podcast, but alas, I was wrong mostly because the topic I would like to tackle, will Jesus return like a thief in the night? Well, it's already been covered way back in April on episode 101. So if you want to listen to that and grapple with that answer, you can come to BibleReadingPodcast.com and it will uh, just go to episode 101 or search for Thief in the Night and that'll get you there. Instead today, we are going to consider a very, very strange and actually perhaps darkly humorous chapter in 1 Kings. And that means that today we get to meet one of my favorite minor characters in the Bible, Micaiah, the sarcastic but godly prophet. I love Micaiah. He seems to have this dark, humorous sense of humor. Maybe he was just depressed, but I sort of read him as being uh, sarcastic in sort of a funny way. And uh, I imagine dealing with Ahab, it would be depressing. Uh, and I'm just hopeful that Micaiah wasn't just purely sad and depressed and all the time, but that he maintained his wits and his sharp humor. And it sort of seems like he did from this passage. Let's read it and see if you agree. First Kings chapter 22, verse 1 in the Christian, actually in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Because here's the thing. Uh, the Holman, the HCSB, is probably my favorite Bible translation. I chose the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, for this podcast because I think more people have it and use it. But the HCSB is my preferred because it usually translates the Hebrew Tetragrammaton, which is the personal, personal name for God, as Yahweh instead of capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now, reading the Bible and seeing 
capital L-O-R-D, and realizing it, it is Yahweh is okay, but listening to the Bible with no distinction between, with your ears, no distinction between capital L-O-R-D and regular L-O-R-D is difficult, and it makes some Bible passages difficult to understand, like this one in particular, where we're going to see two different uses of the word L-O-R-D, and uh, the word the Lord is not really an exact translation of God's name. As we remember back in Exodus, God says that his name means I am that I am. Is he Lord? Yes. Adonai is probably a better translation of that, uh, but I don't really, and, and obviously the, the, the modern translations don't translate yod Hey vav Hey, the Hebrew letters, Yahweh. Uh, they don't translate that because of sort of the Hebrew tradition of never saying God's name out loud. And there's biblical reason for that to a degree. We're not supposed to say God's name in vain, but I think reading the scripture does not count as saying God's name in vain. And I think we actually get into a little bit of confusion when we um, have Bible translations with capital L-O-R-D rather than just telling us what God's name is. Well, that's just my take, and we're going to read it in the Holman today because the Holman translation generally preserves the uh, full transliteration of God's name there. So, 1 Kings 22 in the HCSB there was a lull of three years without war between Aram and Israel. However, in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went to visit the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his servants, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours, but we failed to take it from the hand of the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But but Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, first, please ask what Yahweh's will is. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, should I go against Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? And they replied, march up and the Lord will hand it over to the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here anymore? Let's ask him. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man who can ask Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called an officer and said, hurry and get Micaiah, son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in royal attire, were each sitting on his own throne. They were on the threshing floor at the entrance to Samaria's gate, and all the prophets were prophesying in front of them. Then Zedekiah, son of Chianana, made iron horns and said, This is what the Lord says. You will gore the Arameans with these until they are finished off. And all the prophets were prophesying the same. March up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will hand it over to the king. The messenger who went to call Micaiah instructed him, Look, the words of the prophets are unanimously favorable for the king, so let your hearts, let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, I will say whatever Yahweh says to me. So he went to the king, and the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war, or should we refrain? Micaiah told him, March up and succeed. Yahweh will hand it over to the king. 
But the king said to me, to him, How many times must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of Yahweh? So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne, and the whole heavenly host was standing by him at his right hand and at his left hand. And Yahweh said, Who will entice Ahab to march up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one was saying this, And another was saying that. Then a spirit came forward, stood before Yahweh, and said, I will entice him. And Yahweh asked him how. And he said, I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. Then he said, You will certainly entice him and prevail. Go and do that. You see... Yahweh has put a lying spirit into the mouth of all these lying of these prophets of yours, and the Yahweh has pronounced disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, son of Chenana, came up, hit Micaiah in the face, and demanded, Did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? Micaiah replied, You will soon see when you go to hide yourself in an inner chamber on that day. Then the king of Israel ordered, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this guy in prison and feed him only bread and water until I come back safely. But Micaiah said, If you ever return safely, Yahweh has not spoken through me. Then he said, Listen, all you people. Then the king of Israel and Judah's king Jehoshaphat went to Ramoth-Gilead, But the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I'll disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your royal attire. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone at all except the king of Israel. And when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and when the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So he said to his charioteer, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am badly wounded. The battle waged throughout that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. He died that evening, and blood from his wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. Then the cry rang out in the army as the sun set, declaring, Each man to his own city and each man to his own land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. They buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria. The dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes bathed in it according to the word of the Lord that had its, he had spoken. The rest of the events of Ahab's reign, along with all his accomplishments, including the ivory palace he built and all the cities he built, are written in the historical records of Israel's kings. Ahab rested with his fathers, and his son Ahaziah became king in his place. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king over Judah in the fourth year of Israel's king Ahab. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilhai. He walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn away from them, but did what was right in the Lord's sight. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. 
The rest of the events of Jehoshaphat's reign, along with the might he exercised and how he waged war, are written in the historical records of Judah's kings. He removed from the land the rest of the male cult prostitutes who were left from the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom. A deputy served as king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go because the ships were wrecked at Eslan Geber. At that time, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of his ancestor David. His son Jehoram became king in his place. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the seventeenth year of Judah's king Jehoshaphat and reigned over Israel two years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him. He provoked the Lord God of Israel, just as his father had done. So, a pretty fascinating and violent and kind of gross in places story in this chapter, right? Big question for us. Why would God send a spirit with the express mission to mislead and bring calamity for King Ahab? And I think we're going to find the answer in several places in the Bible. And it may not be easy for us to wrap our heads around it, but I think it's important. We see things like Psalm 34, 16, which says, The face of the Lord, the face of Yahweh, is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. 1 Peter 3, 12 also quotes that, Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Now, it would help to remember here that Ahab is intentionally turned away from God time and time and time again, even though he has seen God moving powerfully and miraculously with his own eyes. Ahab has seen time and time again that God has spoken truth through Elijah and other prophets of his like Micaiah, but still Ahab persisted stubbornly in sinning against God. And the writer of 1 Kings summarizes Ahab's life by saying there's no other king that was as wicked as he was. And in summarizing the life of Ahab's son, 1 Kings says, Ahab's son Ahaziah provoked the Lord God of Israel just as his father had done. So Ahab provoked God, an active sort of rebellion. So this this is obviously a dangerous position to be in. And we need to know that the prophets giving Ahab advice were not true prophets of God. They may have been prophets of Baal. Apparently, sometimes they tried to speak in the name of the Lord of, of Israel, But it's pretty clear based on Jehoshaphat saying, is there not a prophet of Yahweh we could talk to? That he did not consider these guys real legitimate prophets of God. And so I think that means that they were fake, maybe syncretistic prophets of several gods or whatever. We don't know, but they were lying prophets. They were not prophets of God. Now, there are other instances of God intervening against the wicked in a similar manner as pointed out by Pastor John Piper, he says, Rehoboam rejected the wisdom of the old men and said to the people, My father, Solomon, this is Solomon's son, disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Then the writer of Second Chronicles says, The king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God that the Lord might fulfill his word. Then King Ahab is enticed by false prophets to fight against the Syrians, and Micaiah, the true prophet of the Lord, says, 
Therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. Then Joash, king of Israel, gave wise counsel to Amaziah, king of Judah, not to go out to battle against his own people, but Amaziah refused to listen. And the writer of Chronicles again says, Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they had sought the gods of Edom. So does God's use of a lying spirit here mean that God lies? No, it doesn't. It means something significant. We're going to grapple with that, but it doesn't mean that God lies. Again, over to Piper, who says, God governs all things in the universe, including the sins of sinful men. Sin does not cease to be sin because God governs it and guides it for the good of his people and the glory of his name. This is what he did in the sin of Joseph's deceptive sale into Egypt and Judas Iscariot's deceptive kiss of betrayal on Jesus. The first act led to the greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament, the exodus from Egypt, and the other led to the greatest act of salvation in history, the death of Jesus for our sins. When God says in Ezekiel 14.9, I have deceived the prophet, He means that he can and does govern a sinful prophet's mind so that the prophet believes a lie, but God does it in such a way that he himself is not lying. God is able to superintend a thousand circumstances and influences so that a sinful prophet will think a lie without God himself lying or in any way compromising his perfect truthfulness. Let the word of God about the word of God stand firm. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Numbers 23, 19. The glory of Israel will not die. 1 Samuel 15, 29. Psalm 33, 4. The word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. 2 Samuel 22, 31. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Proverbs 35, 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. Psalms 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. God can be trusted, but do not play games with him, says Piper. Do not begin to be careless with the truth. Do not take pleasure in unrighteousness and forsake the love of truth. If you do, you may be abandoned to a strong delusion and never be able to see truth again. So what is our conclusion here? I think we see clearly that God causes all things, uses all events, and uses all entities, good and evil, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose and the righteous end of those who reject God and refuse to come to him and live. So let's consider some more scripture. For instance, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So God is patient. He doesn't want people to be judged. He doesn't want people to perish and turn away from him. He's patient. Psalm 711, though, says God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. In other words, God will, without hesitation, punish those who refuse to repent and turn away from their sin. We see this from Jesus' lips as well when he says in Revelation 2, 5, remember how far you have fallen, speaking to the church, repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
2 Thessalonians 2.10 well describes those kind of people who reject God and refuse to repent. It says they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. As we've discussed the last few days, the Bible teaches us that the Lord takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather desires them to repent and turn to him. But make no mistake, there is judgment coming to all who refuse to turn to the Lord, and that is a just and right thing because God is a righteous judge. He has provided a merciful way of escape for all mankind through the sacrifice of Jesus, but those who refuse to turn to him and those who refuse the riches of his kindness are in as great a peril as Ahab was. Now think about this. Ahab was shot. Ahab disguised himself. He was shot randomly in just the perfect place in his armor by somebody randomly drawing a bow and just shooting it. I mean, maybe that guy was trying to shoot the the person uh, in the chariot, but he had no idea it was Ahab. Ahab thought he could outwit the other army, thought he could escape the judgment of God, but it didn't happen. It, It wouldn't happen. So if we refuse to repent, we're in the same place as Ahab is, and none of our ingenuity or our power or our armor, as it were, can protect and save us. The goal of this podcast is to learn the truth of God, the Word of God, and the character of God. And me, I'm a pastor and preacher, and I guess a Bible podcaster too. I suppose it's easy for me to constantly, as a pastor and preacher and podcaster, focus on the mercy and love of God and minimize His justice and judgment. Now, the reason for this is most Westerners can relate more to the mercy and love of God, and they get a warm and fuzzy and good feeling from that, which, you know, is good in many ways. God is far more merciful and loving than I can comprehend and that you can comprehend, and we honestly can't focus on it enough. The danger, however, is not focusing on all of the beautiful, righteous, and wonderful character of God. And when we miss him as a good judge, as holy, 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 We miss an important aspect of his righteousness and justice. Romans 11.22, we've referred to it several times over the course of our run on this podcast. It's one of those keystone verses in scripture that helps us to accurately behold the fullness of the character of God. And it says, therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you if you remain in his kindness. So that's interesting. God is kind to those who turn to him, but he is severe and a righteous judge to those like Ahab who refuse to turn to him and reject him continually. So the ultimate message of today's podcast is sobering. Yes, God is good and merciful, but it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, as Hebrews 10.31 says, When we are stubbornly refusing to follow him as Ahab did, we risk falling into those hands of judgment. So let's let Ahab's life be a cautionary tale for us. And rather than us rebel against the goodness and mercy of God, let us return to the Lord and wholeheartedly follow him and bask in his merciful and covenant love. We continue with Psalm 108. Verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, My heart is confident, God, I will sing, I will sing praises with the whole of my being. Wake up, harp and lyre, I will wake up the dawn, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples, I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your faithful love is higher than the heavens, 
and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens and let your glory be over the whole earth. Save with your right hand and answer me so that those who love you may be rescued. So those who you love may be rescued, rather. God has spoken in his sanctuary. I will celebrate. I will divide up Shechem. I will apportion the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. And Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. I throw my sandal on Edom. I shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? God, haven't you rejected us? God, you do not march out with our armies. Give us aid against the foe, for human help is worthless. With God, we will perform valiantly. He will trample our foes. Psalm 109, verse 1. God of my praise, do not be silent, for wicked and deceitful mouths open against me. They speak against me with lying tongues. They surround me with hateful words and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. But I continue to pray. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked person over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer be counted as sin. Let his days be few. Let another take over his position. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children wander as beggars, searching for food far from their demolished homes. Let a creditor seize all he has. Let strangers plunder what he has worked for. Let no one show him kindness and let no one be gracious to his fatherless children. Let the line of his descendants be cut off. Let their name be blotted out in the next generation. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and do not let his mother's sin be blotted out. Let their sins always remain before the Lord and let them remove all memory of them from the earth. For he did not think to show kindness, but pursued the suffering needy and brokenhearted in order to bring them to put them to death. He loved cursing, let it fall on him. He took no delight in blessing, let it be far from him. He wore cursing like his coat, let it enter his body like water and go into his bones like oil. Let it be like a robe he wraps around himself, like a belt he always wears. Let this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil against me. But you, Lord, my Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake, because your faithful love is good, rescue me. For I am suffering and needy, my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like a lengthening shadow, I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting and my body is emaciated. I have become an object of ridicule to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads in scorn. Help me, Lord my God, save me according to your faithful love, so that they may know that this is your hand and that you, Lord, have done it. Though they curse, you will bless. When they rise up, they will be put to shame, but your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace. They will wear their shame like a cloak. I will fervently thank the Lord with my mouth. I will praise him in the presence of many, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save those, to save him from those who would condemn him. Amen. Daniel chapter 4 verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an internal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me, so I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. 
Finally, Daniel, named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and a spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me. I told him the dream. Belteshazzar, head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that you know mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong. Its top reached to the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw the visions of my mind, a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree, and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. The word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can, because you have a spirit of the holy gods. Then Daniel whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you. Your majesty, for you have become great and strong, your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came down from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. At the moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. 
He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven. And the inhabitants of the earth, there is no one who can block his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief, For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Yes, indeed. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, dear friends. Good day and Godspeed.